It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, Pastor Rick is continuing in his At the Foot of the Cross series, and today he has a sermon from Mark chapter 15 describing Jesus' crucifixion. In a sermon he's entitled, When Hard Cases Crack. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. We're looking at verses 33 to 39. Let's join Pastor Rick now in the sermon. Before we get started, and by the way, if you have a Bible, turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, or you're not accustomed to bringing a Bible on Sunday, there should be one in the uh, chair pocket in front of you. Um, Mark um, is the second book in the New Testament. The table of contents will get you there real quickly, and chapter 15 is where we're going to be studying today. But before we do that, just want you to also notice on the back of the inside last page of your bulletin, uh, we have put together for you some readings to possibly use, or we would suggest you use them during this week between Palm Sunday and Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, To walk with Jesus in his daily conversations and engagement with people. Uh, Again, it's not an uh, exhaustive list of everything that we know from the gospel writers, but it's selective at least to give you a sense of this is what happened on that very Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday all the way through. And some of you I know uh, have a greater understanding and grasp of your Bible and you can fill in some other gaps with some other scriptures if you'd like to. But if you've never done this before in preparing yourself for Easter to walk with Jesus through this last week of his earthly ministry on earth. It's a powerful way to prepare your heart for Easter, to share that in devotions as a family uh, or as a couple. So just give that to you as a suggested way of really engaging this week. The first time that he was involved in this sort of thing, he threw up and fainted. Probably the combination of the smells, the blood, the screams, just overwhelmed all of his senses. It's extremely hard to get used to the first few times. I mean, after all, it wasn't like fighting as a soldier in battle. In that role, there was honor because you were fighting for your country. But this tour of duty brought with it a different assignment. Long gone were close-order drills and directing combat situations. Now it was police work. Enforcing justice for the political agenda of Rome. And that meant, at times, executions. At one time, he questioned the cruelty of crucifixions and how it benefited the popularity or policy of Rome, but that was long ago and far away, and his innocence had long since evaporated. Now he scarcely gives a thought to what he and his men do. He can hammer nails through human flesh, hands or feet, and never flinch. The screams of those involved are just tuned out. Pleas for mercy are fall on deaf ears. After all, it's just a job, and I'm a professional, a professional soldier, and professionals do not get involved emotionally. Until today. 
Today, something just wasn't right with this one. He had a hard time putting his, put his finger on it, on why all he knew for the very first time in years, he was once again nauseated. Maybe it had to do with the flogging. When he obeyed his orders and had one of his men beat this Jew to the edge of his life, he took it silently. Or maybe it was the fact that everybody realized he was set up. He was innocent. I mean, he was there. He heard every word in the trial. And he was very watchful when Pilate washed his hands at the end, declaring this man's innocence. And then as he hung on the cross, his words were very few. And those that he did express were directed either to God in heaven or to his close friends who were standing there. When bystanders mocked him, he didn't yell back, didn't even speak to them. His calmness, it was almost disturbing. And then there was the darkness. Three unnerving hours of it in the middle of the afternoon. And then that earthquake that shook the the city right after he died, it was almost as if earth shuddered when this man gave up his life. And then his death, it came way too quickly. I mean, most linger for two days at least. It was not normal to die after only six hours. And then that final cry of his, this loud cry, most men, when they die from crucifixion, die quietly because they have suffocated to death. This cry sounded more like a shout of victory. Yeah, something definitely wasn't right about this one. And as the centurion continued to think about it, somehow the pieces all began to fall together. Could it be that the rumors circulating about this man were true? And to the amazement of his troops and even to the amazement of himself, he stood there looking up at the now still form of that body on the cross and a new conviction began to grow inside of him and it poured out through Words from his mouth, truly, this man was the Son of God. How many of us know this story well? How many of us know the story of the centurion, and yet we find ourselves conflicted about him? Conflicted for several reasons. One, because it puzzles us. There are so many details the Scripture does not give us about this scenario, right? We're left to fill in a lot of blanks. But that's what puzzles us. How did he get from here to there? How could a hard case like this crack wide open to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, even though he had so little information? I mean, are dramatic changes like this real? Can such a small amount of truth really cause powerful transformation in a person's life? Our conflicted reaction to the centurion also continues on another level. Maybe a more personal one. Because how many of us can identify with this Roman soldier? Okay, not not, not in the job that he had. (laughs) But we realize that we've become a hard case like him. Cynical. Resigned. Just going through the motions. Functioning, but not fulfilling the roles that we have in life. Spring weather has come. I'm appreciative, other than allergy reactions, so water I need. 
Um, but I've been noticing my neighbors out in front of their yards uh, during this wonderful weather on weekends, and what are they doing? They're trimming, they're fertilizing, they're freshening up their landscape. And I remember when I used to participate in those annual rituals. <laughs> um, and how inevitably, like them probably, I ended up with very raw, sore hands. Now, when I would look at my hands and the blisters that I would inevitably get from these routines, I would often become nostalgic. Now, you might think, that's a strange reaction. Well, let me explain. Nostalgic because those blisters that I would get on my hands were reminders of earlier days when my hands used to be protected by calluses. See, I was going back to an earlier time in my life when I worked on our family's guest ranch in Colorado where the daily routine was cleaning up after horses, mending barbed wire fences, working with the cattle, driving the tractor, all of which is a job or was routines quite different from that of being an interim pastor. Well, mostly. But that's for a sermon for another time. (laughs) But again, the reality is that even city slickers can acquire calluses. All you have to do is have our skin rub regularly up against something and our body reacts by thickening or hardening the tissue in that specific area. As you know, it's a protective measure. But as you also know, then there's a loss of feeling that goes along with that. And that which can occur on our hands can occur in the heart. And that's why Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 warns us to be careful. What does it say? Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And I found it fascinating, the observation that especially in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus would regularly challenge his followers with with this question, have your hearts become hard? So can I ask, how is your heart these days? Got any calluses? Tell you what, let's pop the hood for a moment and check it out. For those of you who are here and you've already made a commitment to follow Jesus, how often in a worship service do you find that you just put it on cruise control? Oh yeah, you're you're singing the songs, you're politely listening to whoever's up front here, but you're really not engaging with Jesus Christ in it. Or is your typical approach to public relationships... Just get out of my way. Is your life lacking joy? Have you become cynical? Is it all just a job? Has your motto in life become, just get it done? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've not really settled the issue about Jesus. And by the way, I'm delighted that you're here if that's where you are. There's no better place to really think things through than in a situation or a place like this. But how about your heart? Are you skeptical that there's a party that still wants to search for what is true? Have you been burned many times in life by the advice others have given to you, but you somehow find you're still open to what the Bible has to say? Are you angry, but you don't want to stay that way? Do you find Jesus compelling, but his church repelling? The hope, the hope for authentically facing and reducing the callousness that can come over our hearts is found right here in Mark chapter 15. And it comes alive and is demonstrated in the person of this crusty Roman centurion 
Because here's a hardened soldier who has seen death and executions, probably a lot by crucifixion, hundreds if not thousands of times, and yet standing in the position there at the foot of the cross, this hard case begins to crack wide open. How did it happen to him? More importantly, how can it happen for us? Well, there's a powerful truth alive here of how his story can become my story. Because if we, too, will come and stand at the foot of the cross, and if we'll closely examine Christ's death, we'll experience the life he has to offer us. In other words, the way Christ let go of his life speaks volumes about what he wants to give us that he calls life. So it's very crucial to look carefully at what happened at the cross. Otherwise, we will not understand the radical and extravagant gifts that God wants to give us through his son. So let's do that this morning. Let's understand that there's a powerful offer of hope here in these few verses about this obscure individual it's, It's hope that it's possible to move from callousness to sensitivity. There is hope here that our God has the power to transform us from being hard-hearted to being tender-hearted, from being ruthless to being responsive. But in order for our hard cases to begin to crack, what we have to do is put ourselves in the same position as this centurion was in. He was in a place where his ears could hear and his eyes could see something very important. Likewise, we need to listen carefully, and we need to gaze deeply at what happened at the cross. So let's do that this morning. Notice, Jesus invites all of us to come and stand by the cross and listen carefully, for he offers forgiveness. What did the centurion hear? Well, let's start with the ears. Look at verse 34 here in Mark chapter 15. We're told that at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon for us, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the son was utterly forsaken by his heavenly father. He was abandoned. He was, left, he was left completely alone. And how many of us here are too well acquainted with that kind of loneliness? Maybe for you it, it began in your family structure when you were a child. Or maybe it began at the divorce. Maybe we've sensed it creeping in as, as we've gone through the transition to retirement or as we said goodbye at the cemetery or when the kids, all the, the final kids left home. Maybe without wanting it to, loneliness has become a way of life and each day for us is bookended with a broken heart and long, quiet evenings. My friends, Jesus Christ knows what it's like to feel that way. He knows what it's like not only to have people turn away from him, but to have his heavenly father turn his back on him. So here's the question that comes out of verse 34. Why did God do that? Why did God pull out all of the supportive props and leave his son to whom he said earlier in life, here is my son with whom I am well 
pleased. Why did he do that? Because in abandoning Christ on the cross, a penalty was paid. And here is where appearances can be so deceiving. Deceiving. It wasn't the penalty that Christ deserved. It's what I deserve. In Christ, God removes all of my rebelliousness, my idolatry, my moral failure, wrap all those things together. That's what the Bible calls in one little word, sin. He eliminates it all by laying the punishment for it on the cross in Christ. So it was from my sin that Christ had to be crucified. Now listen carefully to me. None of us will ever become the spiritually sensitive, spiritually alive person that Jesus wants us to be until we face the fact that it was my sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. Hold your finger here in, in, in Mark, if you, uh, or you don't have to, but if you want to, turn back with me into the Old Testament to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53. We'll come back to Mark in just a minute. Let me read some verses from Isaiah chapter 53, starting at verse 4 and going on down to verse 6. And as you follow along or as you listen, watch for the repetition of the word our or we. They keep popping up here. Okay, Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was nailed to the cross, the prophet saw what was going to happen in advance. And he describes it this way, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But, again, appearances can be deceiving. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, notice, the penalty of my sins was placed on Christ so that I can have forgiveness, I can have healing from my Heavenly Father. And that's the first step in discovering what it takes to move away from being calloused is understanding that Christ went to the cross for me. He endured a punishment that wasn't rightfully his in order that my calloused heart can find something called forgiveness. Ephesians 1, verse 7. Paul says it this way, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In other words, complete and utter forgiveness can be found. This is part of the good news that we need to share openly with anybody. Complete and utter forgiveness can be found, but it's never going to be found if we run down the ways of just either trying to forget it, trying to cover it up, trying to rationalize my choices. It's only found in recognizing that, yes, what I did was wrong, but God has a way of offering divine mercy and forgiveness. Back to Mark 15. By the way, do you notice that there's something missing in Mark that the other gospel writers tell us that the, that the centurion heard? At the start of the crucifixion, when Jesus literally was being nailed to the cross, what were the words that came out of Christ's mouth? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
bookending the crucifixion at the start and at the end were words of forgiveness. And the centurion heard that. So if like the centurion, I will come and stand at the cross and listen carefully, I can hear his cries that both bought and brought me utter and complete forgiveness. And as a result, heart calluses will begin to melt. But that's just one thing that we're to do that this centurion did, that our ears get involved and to listen carefully. But notice that his eyes also got involved. And so Jesus invites us to come and stand by the cross and to look deeply because he offers new life. Again, if you put ourselves into the centurion sandals, there are a lot of careful observations that he, as an experienced soldier, would would make. For example, look at verse 37. Jesus uttered a loud cry. Mark 15, I'm back there now. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. It's been noted by medical experts who understand what the physical agony of a cross puts an individual through, that Jesus' death was unusually rapid. Again, it it normally took several days of hanging there before a man would die. And that's a significant fact because it means no one took his life. Christ gave it. The timing of his death was at his choosing. Is that important? Oh, yeah, you bet it is important. Because that means Christ was not a victim of a corrupt political system. He was not a martyr. He chose to go to the cross for me. And as we've already seen, seen, my sins made it the cross necessary. But Christ's death for me was voluntary. And out of love for each one, he stepped in and died in my place, died in each of our places. Paul, in Romans chapter 5 describes it like this. You all know these verses well. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though maybe someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And why did Jesus Christ sacrifice himself for me? He died in my place that I might not only be pulled out from underneath the death penalty by divine forgiveness, but he also wants to usher us into this thing called a newness of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or John 10, 10 and 11, Jesus declares, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Notice, the newness of life and giving up his life are connected. Does any of this begin to sink in? I mean, just think about it. Folks, God is not mad at you. He is not sitting in heaven plotting how to make your life hard and miserable. Rather, Christ loves each one of us so much that he decided to step in and take the hit for us that was literally legitimately mine to take. And the death of Jesus Christ 
offers us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, an upteam number of chances. It's intended to give us a fresh, new quality of life that's unlike anything else that's offered to us. This is a very unique gift. And not only that, but it's also offering a joy of experience, the extravagance of this completeness of this gift one day in heaven. It starts now. It'll be fully completed one day. Okay, so how does that help the calluses that have deadened my heart? Two ways. First, when a person initially comes to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Rescuer, it opens up a whole new relationship with God through Christ. At that moment, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes and indwells inside of us and begins to transform us from the inside to the outside. It begins to tra- transform our attitudes, our behaviors, our, the very values upon which we live and, and make our choices. And if he, we will let him, he can supernaturally begin to dissolve those calluses of my heart. But many of you have already made that decision to follow Christ. You've made the choice of trusting him. And yet at times... We get cows, don't we? So we need to take the same position as the centurion and gaze deeply at what Christ did to be reminded in a fresh and a vibrant way what my sin required Jesus to do. See, at the foot of the cross, when I stand there and I gaze and I look at him, I am reminded how much he loves me and the gift of this new life that he offers is free, but it's because he paid an extravagant price for it. Free for me, costly for him. And when I begin to let that kind of stuff soak in, my heart begins to respond in a humble appreciation that I'm not under the wrath of God any longer. I've been given a fresh start. I've been given a new life in Christ. And that means life is never without hope. For the cross reminds us that the universe is not governed by cruel randomness, but rather it is governed by the loving heart of a heavenly Father who pursues us. And again, you may be here this morning and you've never... You've never made that choice about Christ. And again, I'm, I'm grateful you're here to want to know more. But let me just say, there's probably going to come a time when that choice is going to need to be made. What is that choice really about? It, well, it begins by accepting God's gift of what Christ done, did on the cross some 2,000 years ago and realizing it was meant for me. Not just for those who are there present, but for me now. It means I recognize there is nothing I can do to fix the situation that I am now currently in. I can't find forgiveness anywhere else. I need to be rescued. I need a Savior. And that I am compelled to come to Christ because I realize He's the only one that can give me the kind of forgiveness that will deeply touch my life. And I really want that new life that He said He would give. That's the choices. Do you realize the centurion was so close to the cross, he could have reached out and touched it? And as a result, the cross did something he was never expecting that it would do. 
it reached out and touched him. And that same transforming power of 2,000 years ago in the life of this soldier is at work here today if we will use our ears and use our eyes and closely examine the death of Christ will experience the life he offers. Folks, that's the way even a hard case begins to crack wide open. Author Max Lucado tells the story of a day when his bank sent him an overdraft notice on the checking account of one of his daughters who was in college. (laughs) He says in his story about his own family, he said, I've constantly encouraged my girls to monitor their accounts. Even so, sometimes they overspend, so what am I to do? He said, can I send her an angry letter? Well, admonition may help her later, but it doesn't satisfy the bank. (laughs) So maybe I should phone her, tell her to make a deposit. Well, I might as well ask a fish to fly. I know her liquidity. Zero. So maybe I should just transfer the money from my account to hers. Yeah, that seems like the best option. After all, I had the $25.37, and I can replenish her account, pay the overdraft as well. Since she calls me dad, I did what dads do. I covered my daughter's mistakes. So later when I called her, told her she was overdrawn, she said she was sorry, but still she didn't offer to make a deposit. She was broke. She only had one option. She said on the phone, Dad, could you? And I interrupted. I said, Honey, I already have. I met her need long before she knew she had one. Long before I knew I had a need, my Savior met mine. Long before some of you even knew you had yours. Rescuing grace was deposited to your account by a heavenly father who did the same thing as dads do. In Christ, our God made a more than ample deposit. Before any of us knew we needed a savior, we had one. So if today you want to ask him for mercy, you know what you're going to hear? Dear child, I've already given it. If we have ears that have heard and eyes that will gaze deeply, we can experience, as we closely examine Christ's death, then the life he has to offer. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, and there may be some here this morning that that's right where they are. It's time to make that decision. A decision of saying, I need divine forgiveness. I want this new life that I see promised before me. I need the rescue of a Savior. Lord Jesus, come do what you have promised. The cross is offering And Lord, for those of us who have known you, but a callousness has crept in, maybe where my callouses are on my heart are different than theirs. 
that we have them. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not taking the time to stand like the centurion did and listen carefully and gaze deeply. But may these days leading up to the joyful celebration of the resurrection of Easter morning be a special time of seeing you deal with the calluses of our hearts to remove the cynicalness, the the resignation, the hardened, I'm just getting it done. For that's not the life Christ offered, but something more deeply refreshing and satisfying, having been forgiven, and a newness of life that opens up. Father, would you do that inside me? Would you do that inside my brothers and sisters here in this room? By the powerful, transforming nature of Jesus. Do that, we pray in his name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.